Wall Street is full of corruption and it is baked in to every aspect of our society. MMT is a lens by which you assess all economic understanding at the macro level. In the 1900s, Lenin was predicting global finance capital would do all the things it's doing today. This was written over a hundred years ago. This is The Rogue Scholar with Steve Grumbine. All right, everybody, it is Steve with the Rogue Scholar, and I've got my good friend and former RP live streamer, writer, etc., Mike Sayanata, who has now turned a new leaf and is really, really heavily focused on writing about labor issues. Uh, you can see his writing has his own substack, and you can also catch him at The Guardian. Without further ado, Mike Sayanata, welcome to the Rogue Scholar. Sir. Hi, Steve. Thanks for having me on. Dude, it's been a long time, man. Last time I spoke yeah. to you, good God, man. So, so much has changed, man. Tell me, tell me about what got you writing in the labor space before we dive into the subject. Um, you know, a few years ago, um, there was a big fight with Disney workers in Florida and California fighting for a $15 minimum wage. And, um, you know, covering that in Florida, it, it was really big and ignored not only by the local media outlets, but by national media outlets. And it was really frustrating to try to fight to even place that with publications that just were completely oblivious to the issue, the, the editors. Um, you know, I did uh, get a story um, into Vice um, news about that. And it was just really an annoying and frustrating, the, the delay and just having to uh, kind of, you know, fight with in, on the back end and with the front end to get people to, to pay attention to it. And obviously Bernie was the only um, politician to really uh, stand with those workers um, and, and rate, you know, address the issue. Um, so, you know, I, I just took off from there. I, I kind of, kind of, jumped into a rabbit hole and haven't left since and still there's so many um you know issues and workers and fights um union organizing uh you know negative things happening to workers and positive things that workers are doing to kind of you know push back and change their working conditions that uh really flies under the radar uh on, on a local state and national level so let me let me go into that for a minute obviously we've seen the biden administration has done next to nothing in support of labor um and we've seen that really quite frankly the democrats have come up rolling goose eggs much like they did with hillary looks like biden is largely a very very similar uh animal very very republican friendly business friendly not labor friendly not uh poverty friendly i mean he's he's really not done I mean, he said nothing would fundamentally change and he's kept his word. Nothing has fundamentally changed, but you're seeing from the streets. And I, I talk to Jordan Sheraton frequently, you know, and Jordan is out there covering these labor issues as well. Tell me what gives you hope from the labor market. And if anything, that labor is making a rebound. 
Um, yeah, I mean, just like you said, there's not a lot of optimism out there. Uh, you know, the PRO Act keeps getting thrown around and it doesn't seem like there's any, um, you know, grounds to getting that passed anytime in the near future, possibly getting some things put into uh, legislation. But it, I mean, it, it's very frustrating from a political standpoint. And yeah, the NLRB has seen, uh, you know, some positives coming out of it with a new administration. But you know, you're comparing that to um, what was on, you know, under Trump and, uh, you know, based on uh, the statistics from the, the BLS that came out, unionization rates and membership rates declined last year, despite, um, you know, a, a surge in worker militancy. And, and that's that's the optimism that's coming out of this. And you, you know, you've been seeing that for months and months and months. Uh, the great talks about the great resignation, people quitting, but, um, you know, on, on, that doesn't really, you know, do much for, um, you know, organizing uh, if people are just leaving to, to take different jobs or, or new jobs. Um, I, I think that's kind of uh, an opportunity for labor, uh, the labor movement to, to capitalize on it. And, you know, obviously, you know, based on the numbers, they're not doing that, but there are, you know, specific industries, um, you know, we're watching Starbucks stores across the country file for union petitions. That that's a you know that's a positive thing, and I think that we're going to see you know more of that, especially uh, if um, you know these stores continue adding um, you know unions across the U.S. Um, you know Amazon is is rerunning their election, and that's a huge uphill battle, but. Uh, I think that's going to be, uh, you know, a big thing coming forward because they, so many workers work for that company. Um, there is so many issues in terms of how they treat workers, how they take, you know, how they approach uh, employment with huge turnovers, huge injuries. Uh, you know, there's there's all these different fronts um, where there are workers and organizing happening, but it, it, it's just so small comparative to the the massive problems we face with income inequality um you know rents are soaring right now uh health insurance uh, you know those issues are not re resolved in terms of underinsured and uninsured people and you know people being able to afford basic necessities um and, and uh, you know, unfortunately, <laughs> you can go ahead, Steve. No. So, what what exactly is it that you see the actually spurring organization? Because we've talked to, I've had Sarah Nelson from the airlines union come on here. I've had her uh, top uh, lawyer uh, and Joe Burns come on here. I've had Jeff Reisberg come on here. I've had a bunch of Marianne Garceau. Um, come on here to talk about labor organizing. Each has a slightly different angle on this, but honestly, it doesn't feel like there's a whole lot to, to get excited about. I mean, it seems like that is the way, the most efficient path to making noise for labor, for the 99%, quite frankly, because a lot of what benefits the rest of society tends to come from the organization of labor unions uh, and that matriculates out to society. I, I I just don't see it, man. I mean, as much as it, you know, there was barely a blip on the radar with people talking about a general strike. There was barely a blip on the radar 
with anything. And, and, and part of that I'm sure is a direct result of mainstream media, not doing its job or effectively doing its job for capital to keep that stuff quiet. But on the other hand though, I I'm genuinely not seeing enough of that energy to make the kind of change. I mean, what other signs of encouragement, if you will, are you seeing? Because it is very small. And I know there's been a lot of laws that have been put on the books to make unionizing, quite frankly, very challenging. Yeah, and that, that's still the case. Workers, um, you know, have, uh, you know, their, their rights are protected. Uh, and, you know, the Economic Policy Institute did an analysis, you know, a couple of years ago, how much money employers pour into union busting, what they get away with, they break the law over, you know, half the time in uh, ahead of union elections. I mean, you saw that with Amazon. Um, you know, they clearly broke the law. The National Labor Relations Board said they did, but all they get is another election. There's no, you know, fines. There's no actual repercussions. They just have to do it all over again. That's kind of ridiculous and, and disappointing. Um, you know, the, the, the tables are tilted in favor uh, of employers when it comes to, to union organizing uh, and, and with income and wealth inequality that that's just gotten worse and worse and worse. And you, you see it time and time again with all these companies who, you know, whether it's Starbucks, whether it's REI right now, who where a store in, in New York City. Uh, just filed for a union election and you know they they present themselves as this progressive company they're a co-op and they're anti-union it's 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 just ridiculous so I, I think the, the positives coming off from all that is people are starting to learn and get aware of the you know for lack of a better term the bullshit of corporate you know propaganda and corporate talking points and they're, they're union busting um, you know, yes, more, you know, uh, unions have a positive favorability, you know, based on polls more than so than in the past 65 years. But, you know, what 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 do you do with that? How do you, you know, take that uh, support and turn it into victories? And I think that's just something that, uh, you know, the labor movement's still trying to figure out, uh, you know, which, you know, there's all sorts of different, you know, problems and concerns with it uh, it, itself in terms of, you know, leadership, bureaucracy, things like that. But um, I think it's just something the progressive movement is starting to take notice of that labor is, you know, how important it is, how it's, you know, intrinsically linked to all these different progressive issues that people care about and that, you know, something needs to be done. So I, I think, you know, hopefully, um, you know, this year and, you know, in the, in the recent near future, um, you know, groups and, and workers and unions start to, to kind of wake up and, and develop that. But like you said, right now, there's not a lot to get hopeful about it. I think it just comes to, you know, just finding and grabbing onto, you know, the small victories you can find, the small organizing efforts, the small, you know, battles and, you know, supporting and trying to get involved in those, um, you know, the, the, those things as they come. So you, you, you write both for your own Substack, and I see you frequently putting stuff out in the guardian. What are some of the stories you're tracking on right now, Mike? Um, 
you know, right now I'm still, you know, covering ways, uh, you know, employers are still pushing, oh, we have labor shortages. And I, I think they that kind of lost steam because people realized how BS that is, uh, considering, um, you know, what the data shows and how wages have remained stagnant and employers still continue treating workers like crap and paying workers like crap while their executives are working from home and making millions and millions and millions of dollars. Um, you know, um, I, I don't want to kind of give away the stories I have filed already and working on, but, um, you know, right now in Seattle, the concrete workers are doing a, a general strike throughout the industry. Um, it, you know, they're fighting back uh, against these these employers that basically have a, a monopoly on the industry and they're trying to, you know, beat concessions out of the workers. Uh, and right now they're at, they're at, you know, at a standstill and uh, construction jobs throughout Seattle are, are, you know, getting halted because they have no concrete. Um, and, and, you know, I think that's something that is flying under the radar. No one's talking about it. Um, you know, there's a story in the nation about it. Um, other than that, you know, Seattle Times covered it, but they really covered it from the, the perspective of uh, the people that own businesses that are impacted by it rather than kind of digging into the, the, the labor battle. Um, and then, you know, moving on from that, this ongoing union organizing, organizing efforts uh, one of those being 2,500 nurses at uh, the University of Wisconsin Health System, which is probably right now the, the largest nurses organizing effort in, in the country. And, and what they're doing right now is they're trying to kind of push back and find loopholes um, because Scott Walker, um, you know, 10 years ago passed Act 10 and that kind of stripped collective bargaining rights for public sector workers. Um, and, you know, they used to have a union contract expired in 2014. Uh, and, and now they're trying to push for voluntary recognition and kind of trying to raise as much noise as possible amid, you know, nurses are dealing with short staffing. Employers are claiming there's a huge nursing shortage, but the, the reality is uh, employers have cut costs and, you know, won't invest into um, hiring and retaining and you know keeping nurses in in their positions and and uh, you know listening to to what nurses need in the workplace throughout um, all these different COVID surges and all the different on top of the you know the regular issues they're they're faced with in hospitals. So when you look at the concrete issue in Seattle, I mean, is this a supply chain issue where they're just not getting enough of the real resource that they need to be able to do the work? And so they, therefore they can't do the work. So they don't have. No, they have the, they, they, they have the concrete. They're just, um, you know, their employers with, that they work the contracts with, they're trying to um, get concessions out of them in terms of, of healthcare um they're not the you know wage increases they're proposing is not keeping up with the high cost of living in seattle seattle's a, you know a booming area uh, for a while they had the most construction cranes of any city in the u.s now they're second behind dc but it's still 
um, you know, a, a sprawling, you know, gentrification. Uh, there's these huge construction projects that these workers are dealing with. They work throughout the pandemic. They work long hours. Um, you know, it, it, it's a it's a constant, you know, it, issue. And on, on the face of that, these employers uh, and the union has said, uh, you know, they view this as the, these employers are just kind of, you know, shrugging their shoulders, refusing to negotiate or, um, you know, actually come to a deal with these workers in hopes that they can bankrupt the local, um, break the union and, and basically start to get unions out of the construction industry in Seattle because, um, you know, it, it's in the way of the, their profits um, and in the way of you know, having an author, you know, their monopoly and an authoritarian voice in their own workplaces. So, Mike, tell me if you wouldn't mind a little bit about the Amazon efforts to organize. I mean, I've seen various things happening in New York, uh, you know, with Jordan's coverage. What, what are some of the other things you've noticed with Amazon's uh, unionization efforts? Um, you know, the New York unionization efforts been going on for a, a while, um, and uh, you know, obviously in, in Staten Island, uh, with um, Chris Smalls, who who was fired early on in the pandemic. Um, you know, he's he's leading that effort. So that's kind of like a grassroots effort. They're trying to get union authorization cards, and then the big hurdle they've come across is that uh, the attrition rates of workers in that warehouse is so, so high. So, uh, you know, if you look on an Amazon jobs website, you know, you don't even have to fill out a resume. You put in your name, number, you know, and then, you know, you send, you're basically brought in. They kind of basically churn workers in and out, um, you know, basically because the nature of the work and, you know, how, brutal it is you know people burn out on a regular basis people last you know a, a day or two maybe a few months uh you know maybe they're they're workers you know, like we saw in nomadland that they're just working uh you know seasonally just because they're already in economic precarious situations so amazon you know kind of preys upon um a, a weak um you know source of you know a, a source of exploited workers where uh, you know the, the workers typically are you know have very little job experience or experience in in other exploited sectors like retail service industry um and it's just churning and burning a lot of these warehouses have over a hundred percent attrition rates uh you know it, it's ridiculous um and then percent attrition how do you even stay in business with 100 percent attrition that's amazing they, they they get they get so many people just in and out you're just always hiring uh always replacing <laughs> those the, you know the, those workers um that are are leaving on a regular basis uh so it, just just as a point of reference I, I i worked as a project manager for the pennsylvania higher education assistance agency the the bloodsuckers that would be the you know student debt industry collecting monies and stuff and one of the big projects that they had was in fact this putting in a new system to make it so that the actual end users 
could have, you know, access to great new services because they were working with like crazy green screens where they had to twist their hands and all kinds of funky combinations to press these special keys just to operate in this old mainframe application. They had 197% attrition because the people could make more flipping burgers at McDonald's than they could actually answering calls in the student loan servicing center. That should give you an idea of of some of the stuff that's going on. I don't know. I don't think they if they unionize, I would be blown away. But bottom line is, is that this attrition thing ain't going away. I think people have gotten fed up with it. I'm just wondering when it will show up in actually union representation and and seeing labor come come together because we've become fiercely independent with this whole libertarian strain of life that has come through the doors lately i mean it's been going for a long time but it's really really picking up steam i think cryptocurrency and other things like that have put libertarians way way out in front on a lot of this stuff and that doesn't bode well for collective organizing at all yeah, it's 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 a definitely a huge obstacle when it comes to organizing at places like Amazon because you know you're you're losing so many workers and so many new workers are, are coming in, uh, so you're constantly having to, um, you know, double up uh, and double down on organizing efforts, and I think that's. Um, and on top of dealing with massive anti-union campaigns, I think that's what happened at Bessemer in Alabama. Uh, initially, besides Amazon overtly breaking the law, they you know, installed a mailbox, uh, held captive audience meetings on a regular basis. But to get to that um, initial election, the, the union had to get a majority of their uh, you know, pool of workers to sign union authorization cards. And from the point that they got those cards and they filed, um, obviously there is a big discrepancy between uh, the vote uh, results and uh, you know who signed those those cards initially. And uh, you know, big problem with that is a lot of those workers you know likely left from you know uh, leading up to the holiday season to afterwards. Um, you know, and that, that's a, just a constant issue at Amazon and one that 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 favors them. But I think going forward with, with this new union election, I mean, tonight there's a, a media, uh, you know, press conference about um, the, the new organizing efforts. The, the election starts in a, in a couple of weeks. It's a mail-in ballot election. Um, you know, three-run uh, elections typically favor the employers. The results aren't great, but um given you know how much attention that this this and yeah this union election received last year uh you know I, I don't think you can compare it to to past um you know statistics just because of you know all eyes are going to be on this alabama election and I, I don't think other warehouses are at that point yet where, where they're you know, ready to hold elections. The the one in New York City filed for one and had to pull out the the petition for a union election just because the people who signed cards they had so much attrition rates. And there there is organizing in terms of you know Amazon workers in Chicago. They've held you know strikes you know just just recently over changes and fought to to you know win uh, raises and. Um, changes to working conditions. Um, 
and, and there are in different Amazon areas and warehouses, local, you know, groups of, of workers trying to, to push back and fight back against Amazon. And, you know, they're not necessarily um, focusing towards the goal of petitioning and, and organizing a formal union with the National Labor Relations Board, but there are um, you know, developing and trying to build um, worker groups within, um, you know, local communities where Amazon is operating in, you know, places like Chicago and, I, you know, the Portland area, there's, there's one in California, there's some, and, it, you know, every, you know, couple of weeks, there's, you know, a new issue in terms of what Amazon's doing, a new lawsuit. <laughs> Uh, I, you know, I, I, you know, something like that, it, it, and it's it's ridiculous, and I I don't think that's going to change, and uh, unfortunately, I don't, you know, I think a big part of it is politically, you know, who who is stepping up and you know, pressuring Amazon, right, in terms of you know their their monopoly practices are just ridiculous. What they did with you know diapers.com. And what they, you know, what they do with employers, um, with you know, competitors, um, you know, their 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 just business practices are so, uh, you know, it, it's it's just ridiculous. And there's just very there's not enough support to kind of step up to people like Jeff Bezos who are just really, really, really exploiting off of. Of not only workers but smaller businesses and consumers, and it's just disheartening to to kind of see the same things playing out over and over and over. You you know you bring up a good point, and and I go back to when uh, Amazon was trying to go into New York, and AOC really raised the ruckus for once, and really kind of gave Amazon you know a run. I mean, literally rallied the troops and voila, there's no Amazon. What do you think it will take like beyond AOC? Cause she, I, I mean, maybe she's doing great things behind the scenes. I don't see it. And I don't see any of them to your point, actively working to organize labor in any way, shape or form or working on behalf of labor. I don't see any of that. None of that. Is there anybody, is there a hidden gem? Is there someone out there fighting for labor that we don't see? I mean, Bernie is still, like, I think Bernie today is having uh, another, like, seminar with, with different workers. And, you know, I think just even doing that, you know, spend, you know, you don't see elected officials doing that enough. It's just, uh, you know, using their giant platforms to highlight and, and you know, showcase workers fights their struggles and i really would like to see uh, them doing more about that and i i don't know you know what the reason is for that whether it's you know just their comms or pr people are just uh, you know focused on different things or just kind of oblivious to these issues but i i think that that's just a really important thing that i you know how that you know, not only people in media like myself, but, uh, you know, progressives and supporters uh, of, you know, certain elected officials need to kind of 
start pressuring and just asking like can you do this can you um you know it's it, it, it's it comes to it's going to come to you know the these elected officials getting pressured to do it or getting you know asked to do it because right now the, the labor unions and the, the labor movement don't really you know they don't have the resources to to um compete with um all the kinds of different pr uh that companies are are paying for in marketing that they're doing uh, you know even with with the the media now i think it's like five publicists exist for what every single journalist and you know those, those publicists are getting paid tons of money and given tons of resources to just throw down crap down people's throats the public's throats and you know in or fight people like me or you know stonewall people like me who are trying to hold corporations accountable for how they treat workers um you know chevron just put out an ad looking for journalists to write in their newsroom to basically create pro chevron propaganda to put out there as if it were real news but it's nothing but propaganda it's nothing but basically an infomercial for how great they are i mean this is this is what we're up against these people have money on loan from god and they have no reason whatsoever to bring on a mike cyanato and say hey go ahead please write about the unfair labor practices please yes write about this please write about that they have no incentive whatsoever to do that in fact they're dumping millions upon millions of dollars to do exactly the opposite of that to laud what great uh you know global citizens they are it's kind of unbelievable it's beyond idiocracy it's beyond don't look up i mean we're talking about some really really nefarious stuff here being passed off as journalism what are your thoughts on that it's ridiculously frustrating i mean in the new york times you can look up they have paid posts by companies like shell on you know and it's just ridiculous propaganda but the fact that that opportunity is given to corporations like that in you you see it in, in politico um or axios this is presented by um whatever nefarious company um and, and you're, <laughs> it's something political and you know these uh news organizations are uh, you know i i you know yeah they're they're trying to uh, uh you know get money and you know there are issues in terms of you know digital how digital media has been um you know basically exploited by companies like google and facebook um but it, it's just gotten you know ri ridiculous to the point how much companies are in involved in 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 just manipulating or you know intervening or undermining um the, the work of journalism and, and and media outlets and how many huge media outlets are willing to sacrifice their you know journalistic values or ethics that normally for you know an, an average person that would never you know be the case but for companies that you know they bend and break the rules all the time um right. and that that's just going from that, that doesn't even include just the 
the typical, you know, favoritism of uh, corporations and businesses and, you know, the powerful people compared to the, the people who are impacted or, the, the, you know, the public and workers, um, how, you know, all these different stories are, are distorted. Um, you know, you see it time and again in outlets like the Wall Street Journal. Um, you know, I saw the other day they did a story on how, you know, raising rent is skyrocketing, but it's framed as it's a great time to own an apartment. Like, so, <laughs> so who is that for? Who the fuck is owning an apartment? <laughs> it's the rich people. Exactly. Hey, so we have a question. Um, I want to see if I can get it. It's from Julie. Uh bring it up here just a second regarding the truckers i'll put this up here for you have you had any uh exposure to the trucker transportation uh strike um i you know i i don't know exactly what she's re referring to i know in colorado truckers were really um raising hell in terms of you know there's a truck driver who got a sentence of over 100 years because um what basically look uh boiled down to you know whether it's a mistake and a faulty you know brake equipment or things like that is a tragedy and um they ultimately were you know refused to go into colorado and um the sentence for that person was i think reduced to something like 10 years uh and, and you know trucking is facing a lot of different um issues in terms of uh for years and years and years wages have been depressed uh you know even recently the, the the industry has always complained about truck driver shortages truck driver shortages and the issue is the pay is terrible the benefits are terrible and the uh you know employers have been misclassifying drivers as independent contractors um and, you know there's an organizing effort in the port of los angeles at xpo logistics the teamsters are trying to organize those truck drivers who have been misclassified as independent um, contractors. Um, and, and, you know, that launched, you know, somewhat recently that campaign and that's ongoing. Um, you know, uh, just other than that across the country, um, you know, I think it used to be typical based on inflation for a truck driver to make like six figures or close to it. And now, you know, they're making half that in many cases on top of being kind of pulled into locked into having to pay for their own truck um you know things like that they're the tight delivery times they're the lack of access to, to bathrooms and, and you know i've covered this for the guardian um you know uh, a recent my last story that one in the guardian was about um, on a, you know, close to almost a thousand truck drivers die on the road um, every year. You know, more than that, just because the, those statistics are just based on like accidents and deaths on the job, and not including like when a, you know, a driver gets sick or dies of you know natural causes while you know hundreds of miles away from their family. And in a lot of those cases, employers are telling basically telling families to go fuck themselves. So they have to figure out how to pay um, and, and deal with all the logistics of, you know, which costs thousands of dollars to, you know, retrieve their loved one and bring them back home to, for, you know, proper burial and memorial service. Um, so the companies will go 
retrieve their cargo, their truck, but you know they won't help the the families whose you know driver either died in you know an accident or uh, of, of some other issue, and you know that that's really just tragic. But it just kind of it's just one aspect of how companies treat you know truck drivers and, and you know people on the road there and these are essential jobs um with yeah. very low unionization rates um and, and you know it's a dangerous job not only because yeah you're on the road um driving these huge trucks on highways day in and day out and working long hours but you know you're sitting for long periods of time that's not healthy um weird hours, you know, working throughout the night shift, uh, you know, if workers are forced to do that is very unhealthy. Um, and, you know, the access to, you know, your truck stops and um, things like that, you're not, you, you know, have that availability of, you know, being able to rely on a grocery store um, like most people are. So, you know, you're dealing with all these other health issues on top of, just the, the brutal lifestyle. So, um, you know, for, to just get back more to the question, I think there's some pockets of organization um, going on in, in for, for truck drivers, but it's still very sparse. And I think, um, you know, it, it comes to pushing back on um, solutions the industry is trying to do, like, we saw recently a teen program to get teenage truck drivers because uh, you know you need to be I think 21 to have a CDL and now they're training 18 year olds to try to get new people in and a lot of those training uh, programs are, are deceptive and um, you know just exploit people to to get more money without actually um, you know providing them with a good paying job with benefits and yeah, union representation. Right. Well, Mike, I appreciate the time you spent with me today. Let everyone know where they can find more of your work, please. Uh, you know, I'm in the Guardian on a regular basis, so that's you know 99% of the work I do. I also do a, a monthly column for the Real News, and um, you know, just you know, follow me on on Facebook or Twitter. I'm not one. Um, I regularly post my, my work or, you know, try to, to, you know, post and let people know about ongoing, you know, union related issues and stories that, you know, typically aren't really, you're going to see in a lot of, you know, media outlets. Um, yeah. I, I tell you what, I, I, I think you should talk to Jordan Sheraton offline. I think that you could probably work hand in glove with him. He's doing a lot of this stuff and together you guys might be able to help each other get more and more and more visibility. Um, I really think that'd be a great fit. And regardless, it's so good to see you again, man. It's been years. I miss you. I'm glad to see you're doing well. And I look forward to reading more of your work, Mike. Thanks, Steve. I appreciate it. And, you know, I'm happy to come back um, anytime fantastic and i will take you up on that so folks my name is steve grumbine my friend mike cyanato rogue scholar on real progressives and real progress in action we're out of here folks the rogue scholar is a production of real progressives if you would like to support our work 
please visit patreon.com slash realprogressives.